morning, church. It kind of feels good to be back in the pulpit. I think it's been over a year since I've been in this pulpit. I'm glad Pastor Dwayne's schedule and my schedule have worked out where I can because I, I truly enjoy coming back and, and preaching because it brings back a lot of memories too uh, to be back here. And also, it's, to me, this is a very special Sunday for me as well because we have the stained glass window with Leontine Kelly up there. Uh, and I was pastor here in 1984 when Leontine and Roy Sano and Elias Galvan were consecrated bishops here in our sanctuary. Uh, and it was very great honor to be hosting the Western jurisdiction. And with Leontine was, is, was truly a remarkable, remarkable woman. Uh, she was uh, the first black woman ordained in a major denomination, and she did a tremendous job, and she touched a lot of people. So it's great to have the, her honored in that stained glass window. This is from the Gospel of Luke. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is soon coming? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourself, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds ask him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they said to him, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers ask, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now we have the prayer up there as it's in the proper sequence as it's supposed to be. So let us pray this prayer of St. Benedict that I think is a very powerful prayer. O gracious and holy God, give us wisdom to perceive you, intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to see you, a heart to meditate on you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, today is the third Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a time of waiting, of waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not really good about waiting. But we all have had to wait sometimes in our lives, whether it's in the doctor's office, sitting in the waiting room, waiting for your appointment to come up, or waiting in the DMV, or waiting to get your car repaired. If I'm in a waiting room, I have my cell phone with me, and that's what I use to pass the time. But what do you do while you're waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Many of us do some shopping, get ready the presents. Some of us had advent calendars. Each day we put a, a new thing on the advent calendar. 
Some of us uh, maybe have uh, Christmas decorations we put up and we sequence it as we get closer and closer to Christmas Eve. I mean, some throw Christmas parties or go to Christmas parties. You know, but when I think of Christmas Eve, the first image that comes to my mind is Joseph and Mary by the manger scene with the baby Jesus in the manger, with the shepherds around, and here come the star and the wise men. But when I think of Advent and Christmas, the last thing I think about is John the Baptist. He just doesn't seem to fit with Christmas. I mean, it's like chalk on a blackboard. But yet the lectionary has assigned John the Baptist for last Sunday when Pastor Dwayne preached on John the Baptist, and it's assigned for me this Sunday as well. The good news is next week, Pastor Dwayne is going to preach on where the angel Gabriel comes and announces that to Mary what's going to take place. That'll feel a bit more like Christmas. But here we're here with this wild and crazy guy living out in the desert by the Dead Sea, living on a starvation diet, uh, wearing clothes the rummage sale does not want, and he's out there preaching, proclaiming as crowds come to him. Now, it was in 2018, uh, we took a group of this church over to the Holy Land. And I took this picture of, of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is up in the far left-hand corner and you can see how desolate the land is. I mean, it's just de- no trees, no shrubs, there's just nothing there. And I was, I was pondering why I even took this picture. And the reason I took this picture on the right side, that square symbol there, that's an ancient Roman outpost. And the walls are still standing from, from almost 2,000 years ago. And so that's why I took the picture. But When you go to Israel, the Jordan River begins at the Sea of Galilee and flows down to the Dead Sea. Most times when you go there, they take you up to to renew your baptismal vows by the Sea Sea of Galilee. And the water there is just crystal clear. I mean, one baptism I had years ago, I can still remember this one baptism. She came forward to be baptized renew her baptismal vows. She was around 25 years old. And I remember I, I lowered her into the water and a fish swam by. And as she came out of the water, a dove flew overhead. That's by the Sea of Galilee. This is a picture of Todd Swanstrom being renewing his baptism by, down by the Dead Sea. You see, it's, it's not clear. It's muddy, muddy water. That's where John baptized. And Pastor Nancy and myself, we are not on our knees. Todd is just a real tall dude. (laughs) But the crowds began to gather. They came to hear John the Baptist and to be baptized in the River Jordan. But I'm always shocked at how John regreeted those crowds because they've traveled from the northern part of Israel down to the Dead Sea. In first century, it was very dangerous to travel. You only traveled a necessity. And you always traveled in groups for safety. And they were traveling down to hear John preach. And how did he greet them? You brood of vipers, you children of snakes. I can't think of a greater insult than that for any person in the first century. 
I mean, in our culture, we're a right-wrong culture. What you did was right. What you did was wrong. In the East, it's a shame-honor culture. What you did brought shame to your family. What you brought honor to your family. And they cherished their genealogy, their ancestors. They took great pride in it to have honor there and to call them a brood of vipers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went to hear a preacher and he or she began by denigrating my family, calling my parents the scum of the earth, and saying how worthless they were and no good, I don't think I'd stay for the rest of the sermon. But they stayed to hear John the Baptist. And, and what did he preach about? He, he, he said there were some things he was angry, that God was angry at. And I think God can be angry today too. I think God is angry today. And here's some of the things I think God is angry at. He's angry at indifference. Angry at apathy. Angry at racism and violence. Angry at inhumanity. Angry at waste. Angry at destruction. Angry at injustice. And angry at groups that exclude or demean others. I'm sure there's other things I didn't put on the list. But there were things in the first century that, that John conveyed that God was angry at. And, but he did, though, that he threatened hell, fire, and brimstone. The axe is at the root of the tree. If you don't produce good fruits, you're going to be cast into fire. Repent, repent, change, change. That was his message, angry. God is coming, and God is going to have justice. And if you don't produce good fruit, woe is you. And people said, well, what should I do? Well, if you have two coats... Share one with has what, who has no coat. If you have food, share with those who have food. I, I mean, it, it, the tax collector said, well, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you're supposed to. Well, what about soldiers, soldiers, what should we do? Well, he said, that, don't extort. Be satisfied with your pay. And people heard John. And his threat of punishment if they did not change and many changed and repented. But then, then along comes Jesus. And it's interesting that uh, Jesus began his ministry and John the Baptist uh, got arrested and he was in prison. And he had some questions. It sounds like he had some doubts whether Jesus was the Messiah he was preparing the way for because that was his whole mission in life to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so he had questions, and so he had a couple of his disciples go to Jesus and ask the question, are, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one I was really preparing the way for? Or, or it looks like maybe we should be looking for somebody else. And Jesus said to them, you go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. And they went back to John. And I'm sure they told him about all the healings that, that Jesus had performed. But I wonder if they shared with him how Jesus began his ministry. How scripture says that he was in Nazareth and it was on the Sabbath. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. He was handled the, handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he enrolled the scroll until he found the place in Isaiah where it says this. 
The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And scripture says he handed the scroll back to the attendant. Then he sat down and he said, today, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But you see, this is the rest of the passage. He, he didn't say that. He didn't say the day of vengeance of our God because that's not what he was about. That's not what he was sent to do. I think this is what John wanted to hear. I think that's what John expected to hear. That's why he sent those disciples to check, are you sure you're the one? Because he wanted to see that vengeance of God come. And then I wonder if, if the disciples who came back to John, did they share other stories about Jesus, about how when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, here's what he described what to do with your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Uh, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them to the other also. I wonder what John thought about that teaching. Or at the end of the sermon on the plane, he adds this. Jesus describes God. God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's a far cry from what I hear John preaching. So I, scripture never tells us how John responded to Jesus' ministry. Uh, and scripture doesn't tell us what he responded when the disciples came back and reported to him. Because shortly after that, he was beheaded by King Herod. And there are some today and who heard those messages of John the Baptist and they changed and they repented. And you can go to some churches today and you're going to hear that turn or burn. Hell, fire, and brimstone. It's coming down. God's vengeance is upon you. And God is angry and going to punish you. Now, for me, personally, that doesn't resonate very well with me. That's not the reason I seek to follow Jesus. That's not the reason I try to be faithful to the way of Christ. It's because of the love of God that I experience and feel as God revealed through Jesus Christ. I mean, it was about four or five months ago, I was lis listening to a sermon by Pastor Adam Hamilton at the Church of the Resurrection. And he had this prayer that I really like. So I have started using this prayer every morning as part of my morning devotion. And here's the prayer. Jesus, be my Lord. I yield my life to you. Forgive me and heal me. Form me and shape me. Make me the person you want me to be. And then use me every day for your purposes. Thank you for choosing to love me. Thank you for calling me to be one of your people. I offer my life to you in your holy name. Amen. I pray that every morning, not out of fear of judgment day, not out of fear that God's going to strike me down. I pray that because God's love for me, 
the experience I've had with God is a God of love, an indescribable love. In fact, it's hard to try to find an illustration that conveys that kind of love, but I did find one that spoke to me. I just finished a book by Diane Butler Bass, and she shares this story of the birth of her daughter. Uh, The nurse who had just been telling her to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, The baby has been born now, and the nurse has taken the baby and has cleaned up the baby and is now bringing the baby back, wrapped tightly in a a blanket. And she comes in and she said, it's time to feed your daughter. And this is what Diane writes. I sat up, reached out to receive my infant, and drew her close. The nurse who had been my birthing teammate smiled and walked out of the room. Two of us remained, the newborn and me. I was not particularly skilled with babies. Only once before had I held an infant this young. The nurse had closed the door behind her, and silence surrounded us as if swaddling mother and child. Except for my own heartbeat, made more rapid by uncertainty about what to do, the only thing I heard was a soft, cooing and gentle breathing like the ha, the Hawaiian word for breath of life. I nuzzled her. The natal sweetness filled my senses. We were two who had been one and yet still were one in some mysterious way. And so we remained fully present to each other, lost and found in a moment of new creation that neither had ever experienced I glanced at the clock on the wall. More than an hour had passed since the nurse left. I looked down, and the baby opened her eyes, seeming to look up at me. Pure love enfolded us, a hallowing of this intimate world. The the room had become a temple. I had always known birth would be hard. I never knew it would be holy. And when I read that, that kind of captured the feeling of the relationship that I feel with God as revealed through Jesus Christ. And that one-ment with God, a God who holds me in God's arms, and a love that, that, that is strong, a love that, that is pure, that's hard to describe. But it's a love that I know is there whether I feel it or not. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is because of that love I don't want to disappoint God. It's because of that love I try to be as faithful to Jesus Christ as I can. It is because of that love I I try to follow the way of Christ in all that I do. I like the way the writer of Ephesians put it. We are called to live a life of love, following the example of Jesus. And that means going out into this world where there's a lot of tension and heartache and pain and darkness, where people get together and there's conflict over political issues. I mean, you try to talk to somebody of the opposite political position and see if you can get a decent conversation without somebody getting mad and angry. There's a lot of it out there. 
And, and we are, are called to be, follow the way of Christ, to be loving even if the other people aren't loving, called to, to trust in the end result for God. Because it's so tempting sometimes that there's so much evil, so much, so much hatred out there to, to let it overcome us. But as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, is what he said again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes, we have a task to do to follow the way of our Lord and Savior, the way we live our lives, the way we treat other people, the way we share our gifts and graces with other people. I like the way the Talmud phrases that passage from Micah. I like this way they phrase this. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Do not be taunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Yes, walk humbly with God. Do justice now. Walk humbly now. We are called to be a task. The reason I seek to do that is because of God's love for me. And why then is John the Baptist here at Advent? And I think the reason it is here because John's purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah, to, to preach messages of people to change, to be open to the, the coming of the Christ. And he used judgment and fear. I think we're called to do the same except using love and grace and mercy. To, to reach out in love that, that people can begin to, to, to receive and see that love of God is in the world and is active and is moving. I mean, you can take the same words of John. What, what are we to do? Well, if you have more than one coat, share with those who have no coats. If you have food on the table, think about those who have no food and what can you do? If you have lodging and a place to sleep, uh, think about what one can do to help those who have no place to sleep. And you see, for everybody, Christmas is not necessarily a joyous time. There's some difficult times that people go through at Christmas time. And sometimes there are conflicts in the family and tensions in the family. To be sensitive to the nudging of God, oh, what can I do? Maybe there's someone I need to go up and I do and say, forgive me, I'm sorry. Or someone else, I forgive you. Or, or someone else to let them know, yes, there's been some words, but I want you to know I love you. About preparing the way so other people can know of the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. I like the way Krista Tippett put it. She's from NPR. Years ago, she said this, we will measure, be measured finally not by our accomplishments, our professional achievements, our academic degrees, or civic awards. We'll be measured finally, she said, by how well we loved. By how well we loved. Yes, we will be judged by how well we loved. Because Jesus said, yes, we have work to do. There's a dark world out there, but there's also light. Can we help share the light of Christ wherever we are, wherever we are on the journey of faith, knowing that God's love will never let us go?
Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God, help us to be aware of your spirit in our lives. Help us to be sensitive to those nudges, those encouragements, to help us risk to reach out to help others, to share our concern, to share our love. Help us be people who begin to prepare the way by our words and our actions that people will know that Jesus Christ is alive and well and God is moving in this world for the good. May we be instruments of peace and joy in all we do. This we pray in the name of God, creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.